Are you ready? Shall we go? Put on your seatbelts because we've got lots to go. This is a this is a fun topic. A couple, lots of lots of moving parts in this, but but this week has been a, a great week. This has been a great summer. It's gone so fast. But as we've been thinking about this whole thing of of as Christians, what the Christian life means, and then how do you communicate? This to a fallen world. We've we've been doing a lot of thinking and meditating and asking God to really teach us, to disciple us. And so we've been thinking about things like conversion, repentance, transformation, trials, temptation, all the all the things that God does to train us so that we would walk with a God of peace and we would have the peace of God. All these things are part of our calling. And that's what I want to focus on, that there's a different angle when you come into this word calling, which we don't talk about a lot. Actually, we don't talk a lot about what we think we know. We just assume everybody knows what faith is. We assume what everybody knows what grace is. We assume what everybody knows what forgiveness is. We make a lot of assumptions, and you know what happens when you assume. But here's the word I want you to know. How's your Greek this morning? Can you read that? It's ecclesia, and it has the root from the word kaleo, which is the word to call. You get this word, you'll see this word in Spanish, you'll see it in the word iglesia, and you'll see that in the Portuguese, igreje, or in French, the egresi. Um, but the idea is there is a call which means to, basically, it simply means to assemble. It means to congregate. As a noun, it means assembly or the congregation. But as a verb, it means to gather. And this idea that gathering or calling people together, we call it the church. We see the noun church, but we don't see the verb to church, to gather. And yet... When Moses called Israel together, remember the time when Israel called and he began to explain, he assembled all of Israel. It wasn't called the church. It was just called the ecclesia, the, the assembly. Or the same way when Moses set up those 70 men, he appointed those men, but he called them and he put them up as judges to make sure Israel was on track and they wouldn't lose sight of the sin. Those were the 70 council judges that ended up being, over the period of time, the Sanhedrin because they forgot their function. But the idea that there's a calling, as Jesus would call his disciples, not just the 12 men, but initially the 12 men, he gathered them, and he gathered them one by one. This idea is so uh, deeply embedded in Scripture that for you to have a Lone Ranger, Marlboro Christian sitting on your horse smoking a cigarette on the middle of nowhere by yourself, that you are self-sufficient in all things is really the American version of Christianity. And there, aren't, there are a lot of people who have really attacked American Christianity for being so independent, so privatized, so concerned and consumed with what's in it for me. And that is just going to be turned on its head today. As you think about what Jesus would say, if you've been in a digital church, you don't have the biblical church. 
you may have the information, but you don't have the community we'll look at. And that's why the writers of Hebrews said, I want you to consider how we can spur one another on towards love and good deeds. There's a dynamic that takes place when Christians get together. But if you're separated, you take that stick out of the fire and you can lose your fire. But independent Christianity is not biblical. But it says, not meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. Note that, underline that, because that's a reality. People say, you may have said, ah, I don't need to go to church. I've got to get this room done. Uh, I don't, I've been working so hard, I just need a break. I'm going to check out for this. And we check out. And that becomes a habit for some. But here's what you're supposed to have experienced when when you have uh, the church come together. Encouragement. Encouragement, the more you see the day approaching. Because you have to have this vision reinforced that we are living outside of Eden and we're moving towards heaven. And in between time, we're in the middle of a battle that needs real courage. And you can't encourage yourself by just self-talk. You need a whole community. Well, I'm going to explain this idea of calling today. And I want to present it to, to you in such a way that I hope you are encouraged and that your love for Christ is strengthened and that your courage for Christ is strengthened and that the God of peace and the peace of God becomes a reality for you. That's the transformation. That's the repentance. That's the conversion. That's the sanctification. That's the Holy Spirit coming in. And this is my desire for you. I want us to have our eyes turned in a different way, the way that Jesus wants us to enjoy life. So what does it mean to be called by God? <clears throat> well, there are four points. I'll bounce around these four, but here's a couple of things that I think is fascinating. One, it's a, you have a calling to salvation. There's a calling to be saints. There's a calling to a society. We call that the church, the kingdom. And there's a call to service. You've heard me say, I'm not... I'm not called to the ministry. We are called to the ministry. But an interesting thing, an interesting thing as we were doing this, and we sometimes use the NIV for the, the slides, and I use New American Standard usually, but I didn't realize this time, and this is a semi-rabbit track, so I'm going to only go halfway down the track. But did you, know, did you notice what that verse said? In the NIV it says, Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. Now that may ring differently than what you grew up with because it does ring different because the NIV has changed and this was what the previous version of the NIV it came back out in 1984. Jesus was walking he saw two brothers, and Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. That was his name, and they were casting a fish, a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. Now, there are a couple of things we'll look at that passage, but look at the new version. Come, follow me, and I will send you out to fish for people. Why do they do that? The new version is trying to be inclusive. And in their idea of trying to be inclusive, they're 
there's nuances that are shifting. And so for me, uh, it doesn't, it, de- it just doesn't ring true. And one, it doesn't go back to the Greek. It doesn't say, I'll make you fisher people. You don't have fisher people. Uh, it says you're fishermen. And it's not that men versus women, you get caught in the weeds with that stuff. That's not the point. The NIV is trying to be inclusive to adjust that, but I think the idea behind that is Jesus wants to send us out and to call ecclesia, to do that gathering, that same kind of sense of you invite people to come in. And... uh, but there's one thing in that verse that's really interesting. It says, I will make you. That's missing in the NIV. But that is a very important word because it says, I'm going to, one, call you. And two, I'm going to cause you to be in a state. I'm going to be the force and the reason and the motivation. I'm going to do a work in you to make you, to make you be able to, to cause you to be, to result in, to bring upon, to bring about. It has that sense of cause and effect. When God does something, you see the result. If he starts a work, he finishes it. But in that sense, if you follow Christ you have this expectation that God's going to do something as you follow him that will incapacitate you and enlarge your heart for people as you influence and gather people in by inviting them back to Christ. Now, again, for your information, uh, what a biblical church is, I won't go through the five-color bars, is, but here's another test question for you. Do you know there are three GCs in the New Testament? Three GCs. The first one is the great... The what? And that comes later. The great commandment. Yeah, you got it. And the great commandment, Jesus would say, and train his people to understand that this is first and foremost... The curriculum of heaven. It is the fact that teacher, and and this is what the lawyer said, which is the greatest, not to do the greatest, to be the greatest failure. So you can't miss this one. Um, Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. This is the, uh, that's the NIV. I read the NASB. This is the first and the greatest. This is the first and the greatest. And the second is like it. In other words, I'm going to make you lovers of people. I'm going to make you lovers of God. I'm going to make you, if you follow me, like me. So the first one is a great commandment. What's the second one? Okay. Great commission. Okay, there you go. So you got, you're doing, now you're on two for two. I'm grading on the curve. Um, this great commission, can you quote it? Okay, I give you a cheat sheet. Therefore, go and make disciples. Notice the commandment in the Greek is not to go. It is while, while you're doing your work, as you're walking in, in Staples and wherever you are, as you go, you are to Make, it's the same word. I will make you fishers of men. 
The idea that if you go, you do to people what I do to you. And there's that influence, that salt and light calling that we have, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And you teach them. You share with them. You share your story. You share your life with them. And in that sharing, people learn, oh, there's a different way of living here. New life in Christ. And I see it in you because Jesus is with you because you said he's with you to the end of the age. People are going to hear things from you that they wouldn't hear from anybody else. Okay, so there's the second one, Great Commandment, the Great Commission. And the third one is? You don't know this one? How'd you get by with that? This is the great community. This is the great community. You see, what God is doing on earth for heaven's sake is to recreate humanity in his own image, which is always plan A. He never wants to shape up the flesh. He's not out to change politics or change our culture. He's introducing a kingdom culture because only in this new kingdom framework do you have a community that lives like they belong to heaven. This is a kingdom church. This is a kingdom community. And therefore, this community, as one writer said, we are the great community we are the church called and connected, causing growth in each other in order to fulfill the great commandment and the great commission. We will walk with each other and we will share the fellowship in order to learn more about how to incarnate that gospel, to live it out, and to be one united fellowship called the church. We are all different, but we all become a little bit more like him by walking with others who have the same desire and vision to know Christ and to make him known. A lot of typos there. I knew you knew that. So the great commission of the church is, is broken down into these two types of callings. And this is an interesting point. There are two types of callings. One, uh, there's a general calling when you find Jesus making disciples out in the public, wherever he is, and there's a general call. And you see this three times in the New Testament. I'm going to read Matthew 9, 17. Um, you know, Matthew was the tax collector. He was the guy on the margin. And yet when Jesus brought him in, he said, Matthew, I'm going to make a disciple of you. I want to make you a man of mercy because I don't desire sacrifice. You know what that is. You've seen that in the Pharisees. But I want you to have compassion. And Matthew had that compassion. And so Matthew nine seventeen, to those who are called, we become people of compassion. But the second one is the general calling uh, in Matthew 22. You know this story, and let me read this in context because you miss it. You can't cut it in half because of the chapter levels. This is the... This is the parable of the talents that Jesus is talking to um, in a parable. But he talks about this landowner who built a vineyard. And he put a wall around it and a wine press in it and built a watchtower. And then he rented the vineyard, vineyard out to some farmers and he went away to a journey. He's giving parables in order to reach those who, don't, who are not ready for the cross. So he's sowing the seed 
And the tenant seized the servant, and they beat him, and they killed him, and stoned him. You know this story. And then he sent other servants, and they beat them more than the first. And so he went through a series of people. And therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do with these tenants? When they took the son and, and uh, threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. Have you never read in the scripture that the stone that the builders rejected has become the capstone? And the Lord has done this marvelous thing in our eyes. Therefore, I'm telling you, I'm going to take the kingdom from this people, I'm going to give it to this people, because you have rejected my son, you've rejected the call. And this is the passage where Jesus says, many, many were called, but few are chosen. And then he goes into this passage in Matthew 22. This is the parable of the wedding feast. The kingdom of heaven is the king who prepared the wedding feast. And again, it's a general call. And those who have been invited to the feast go out and get them, but they refuse to come. So in the call, the response, when people hear about the grace of God, when they hear about the cross, there's going to be a response in the heart. And we talked about this in, in conversion, that when the Spirit of God is at work, there's a prevenient grace at work. There's a preparation of the heart. But in that preparation, if a person says no, if a person says no, they're not going to hear the call. Yesterday at West, at the, at the county fair, I went to uh, the Gideon's booth, as I do when I go out there. And I go to these Christian booths, and I ask them every year, I say, well, what's it like? What do you see the difference? And the Gideon's, the guy, he's, he may come here. He wants to come here. He said, you know, this year I just noticed something different. There's just, just, there is a different spirit. I said, would you like a Gideon's Bible? Hell no. I don't want one of those. Why would I want one of those things? And it's just a very aggressive he said, no. He says, I find the spirit of resistance even more difficult with this this year than I did before. And I thought, huh, there's a hardening of a heart when people don't hear the call, don't want to hear the call, are annoyed by the call because they're not chosen. And so the Spirit of God has to do the work there. But when he says, This wedding banquet is ready, but those I invited did not deserve to come. So go to the street corners and invite those who, anyone you find. And the king came in to see the guests and noticed that there was a man who was not wearing the wedding clothes. And the king told him, that's it. Tie him hand and foot and throw him out into the darkness where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Again, for many are invited, but few are chosen. This is the general calling. So when the gospel goes forth, don't be surprised when people persecute you and say all kinds of bad things about you because you are not a natural man. You're not a natural woman. You're a supernatural man. You're a supernatural woman because you have the Holy Spirit and you say something that challenges them all the time. Well, there are two levels of calling. We are called to be saints. And in that sainthood, in that calling, the way Jesus sees us, is different than the way the world sees us. The general calling, again, it goes to both. You and I both get this divine uh, reference, sorry, to be God's gracious invitation to salvation by the gospel, to the means of 
by which he brings the lost into saving relationship with Christ. This is the, um, here's the right one, <laughs> without type. Uh, so it's, the, it's a call to the gospel, and the gospel is Jesus Christ himself. Now, the thing about your experience with Christ, or the experience of the way God works generally, it might be a, a, a real dramatic experience. Like Moses had the burning bush, and uh, Paul had the blinding light. But these are epiphanies, one, but it's encounters, two, where people meet the Lord, and they are radically changed. Radically changed. I see this in Kairos. But that's not the typical way people are brought to Christ. And more normal is the developmental work that God does in growing people into the kingdom. You see this with Timothy. As Timothy was called and developed to be a leader, but his development was because Paul noticed and, and trained him and discipled him. You notice that Paul and Barnabas, they, even though they both walked with Christ, it was the larger body that called them into the ministry. And that calling was sanctioned by the community, the great community, to go out. But this is calling, whether it's, whether it's dynamic or dramatic or whether it's develop, developmental, all have the same characteristics. Now get these. We'll go through these quickly. Because I want you to hear something very interesting. And I want you to hear it saying, this is for me? Yes, this is for you. Because we know that in all things, you know this passage, that God works together for good to those who love him. Those who don't love him, they complain. But those who know what God is doing, know that God has called you and me to a purpose. And what is that purpose? To be predestined, justified, and glorified. You won't get that anywhere else apart from Christ. And he did this to make people jealous, to make the Jews jealous. That's why the Gentiles were brought in. But notice what Paul went on to say, that he prepared us in advance for glory, even us whom we also called and that calling is tucked right in there. You easy to pass over that six-letter word, not only from the Jews but from the Gentiles. But to be to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, who are called to be holy people. This is part of our identity. This is part of our connection with Christ, together with all those who everywhere call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. This is the great, great community. And it says in 1 Corinthians 1.9, not only do we have this calling to the community, but our particular privilege is to be called into that friendship, that fellowship with Christ. And there's that calling, 1.9. God is faithful every day, morning, noon, night. He's called us into fellowship with his son. That fellowship, that discipleship, where you come to sit at his feet, some people get it, and they grow in it, and some people forget it and don't grow in it. That's why Paul warned the Galatians, I'm amazed, I'm astonished. How could you do that? That you're so quickly deserting him who called you. Now notice what he called you to do. He called you to a life living in 
grace. And you want to go back to the law? You're turning to a different gospel? Oh, on my shirt, I was reading that, you know, asked me about my time in prison. Last week I talked to two groups, and both were cults. They were cults, because they have a religious spirituality to them, but it wasn't about Jesus. One was in the nursing home with one of the staff, who belongs to the Worldwide Church of God, uh, Herbert W. Armstrong. It is not the gospel. It's a different gospel. And the other was with a friend who came to the church and worked here. He belonged to the Baha'i faith. It is not the same gospel. You have a lot of similar characteristics, but what is missing is the grace of Jesus Christ. And why would you leave that grace is because you, don't, you are not discipled or grounded in grace, and you're vulnerable and you're weak. Well, that's why Paul would say, I want to encourage you, I want to comfort you, I want to urge you to live these lives worthy of God, who calls you into his kingdom. And to leave the kingdom is to leave the grace, is to leave the glory. Why would you do that? But we thank God... Paul would say to the Thessalonians, we thank God continually because when you received the word of God, you heard it from us, you accepted it, not as a human word. Their ears and hearts were open, but as it actually is the word of God, which is indeed at work in you who believe. So Paul would go on as he trained Timothy, and Timothy would train those in Ephesus and beyond. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called. Eternal life to which you were called. Grace, glory, eternal life. It gets better. But you are chosen people. A royal priesthood, a holy nation, a special possession. That you may declare the praises of him who called you. Called you. Make you come out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the great ecclesia. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So the idea that when we repent and see the Spirit at work and he's converting us and he's growing us, discipling us, he's making us followers of Christ, what you get are these 10 privileges. Real quickly, being justified and glorified, objects of mercy, friendship with Christ, fellowship with everybody on earth who calls upon Christ. You live in grace and glory and eternal life, and you're walking in light. You get wisdom, and you know the hope of his calling. These are ten things. That just, I want to encourage you. But, you know, and now you come to this crazy sentence. I don't know about you, but sometimes I hear Christians talk about God. I just go, oh. God, he's not discipled. Have you ever heard this sentence? Have you ever heard this sentence? God had to smack me up the side of my head with a two-by-four so I'd pay attention. God gave me a heart attack so I'd look up. Imagine when a non-Christian hears this sentence. Jesus wants you to die. He what? Yeah, take up your cross daily. You gotta be kidding me. Why would anybody want to do that? 
And the way we present Christ is such a human pressure cooker. You got to do this. You got to do this. And you miss the whole work of the Holy Spirit by saying, do you see what he's calling you to? But our focus is on the negative. I mean, I had to pick up, take up my cross. And Jesus was smart enough. <laughs> the Lord is a master teacher. He didn't come on the scene, drop that bomb, said, you guys got to take up your cross. It wasn't. They understood when he said, you have to die daily. But he says, this is the requirement. Because for you to take up your cross, Jesus would know a couple of things about the human heart. And Jesus would speak it. But he was sensitive that after he had done all the ministry, then he gave this call. And a lot of people don't have any experience in the Christian life or the church or the Great Commission or any of the grace or any of those things. And they hear this, oh, he's going to hit me up the side. I have to do this. I can't do that. Because I'm, and you hear the negative approach because that's the flesh trying to react to the flesh. Uh, but the Lord is a better teacher because he knew you can't serve two masters. Have you ever had two girlfriends at once? Or two boyfriends? You can't give full attention to either one. I'm not going to talk about Rick's story. I know that story. Um, but Jesus said, if you're divided in your heart, you can't follow me fully. And what's the greatest commandment? To love the Lord your God with all, all your heart. Not 50% or 30% or 15 cents. That's why Dietrich Bonhoeffer said that when God calls a man, he calls him to come and die. Now what he means by that is you're going to be upgraded. You're going to have a whole new range of things that you can't occupy because these two worlds are incompatible. So it's a natural thing to say, oh, I've got to let go. So to take up your cross daily, to take up your cross daily, this is part of what we do. It's a normal part of what we do. Why? What's our motivation? Well, we understand that there's more than just the death. There is a resurrection. And that's what we focus on in our calling. Oh, if you go to Africa and Uganda, you get this story. I've heard this all over the world. You hear it in India. You hear it in, in uh, Portugal. Uh, you hear this story uh, or in uh, Brazil. The story is about a, uh, a monkey, and depending on which country, you get either a fruit, you catch the monkey, you put a fruit in the coconut, or you put some rice in the coconut. And so the monkey goes in and grabs, and he's got a handful of fruit, a handful of rice, and he can't let go. He can't let go. And so, obviously, because he is caught, and that's how they catch monkeys and sell them on the market. The idea that if our heart is holding on to something in the flesh, or holding something into the self-centeredness, or holding something that I don't want to take out the cross, if I'm not taking my cross, I'm not letting go. If my hands are closed, God can't put anything new in them. And that's why letting go, dying to self, is the invitation, the call to follow. And if you follow, if you let go, you get all the other things that come with a calling. This is why we pray. I pray the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you might know the hope 
which, to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance. Let go of this. Do you see what he's got for you? We don't communicate that. The, the God of peace, the peace of God. Why would you hold on to this anxiety? Why would you hold on to yourself when you get so much more over here? It is this calling that is the cause of our response to the gospel. This call to salvation is a call to freedom. Therefore, don't turn your freedom back into an opportunity to serve the flesh. It's a call to walk in the light. So don't invite darkness. It's a call with a heart of hope. You, my brothers and my sisters, you were called to be free. Uh, the means of the call, God uses the church. God uses people. Uh, Paul said to Timothy, you know what kind of men we were, and therefore you are called to be a fisher of men, fisher of women. Every Christian is called. Every Christian is a called to be a disciple. And we are called to make disciples. And with that calling comes a gifting. A gifting of the great commandment, a gifting of the great commission, and the gifting of the church. Therefore, our gospel, when you speak, does not come out of just abstract, propositional apologetics. It's incarnated. Our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit, and with deep conviction. For you know how we lived. You know that conversion is real. And you became imitators of us and the Lord. And you were welcomed by the message in the midst of severe suffering. Well, all this means that we preach Christ. We live Christ. We talk Christ. We reflect Christ. If you understand your calling. And Christian, I'm inviting you to die again. In order that you may be raised again with him. And only those who obey, <coughs> only those who obey believe, and only those who believe follow. And therefore, when you go back to those five color bars, it starts with Christ. That's always the first base, or home plate, whichever way you're running. But this is what we were called to do. We are His people in this place called to be separate from the world, called to be a holy people, a gracious people. Therefore, know that promise. I will make you a fisher of men. He's going to do that for us. Let's close in a word of prayer. Father, these are fun, exciting, encouraging words. I pray that you would strengthen us in our calling, that we would not be vulnerable to every wind of doctrine or whatever else might be pressing in on us. Lord, teach us to listen to your grace. Teach us to let that grace flow into our relationships. And Father, I pray that you would disciple us so that we would be reproducing 30, 60, and 100 fold as we invite people into the kingdom that you particularly call people by name through us. And so, Father, it's, it's your pleasure in our, and your glory. In our growth, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.